the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many of us spend time working to identify and solve problems by using our head. But what if there was another approach, a reliable and effective pathway to realizing innermost desires? Today's guest, Steve Siskold, believes that we should get out of our head and into our body in order to achieve greater wisdom, confidence, and success. Steve's whole body intelligence teaches how to become aware of subtle body sensations and how to interpret their meanings, linking them with thoughts, experiences, and decisions. According to Steve, it's time to stop overthinking and decisions will become easier to make. Steve is a motivational speaker and executive coach. He is the author of the book, Whole Body Intelligence, Get Out of Your Head and Into Your Body to Achieve Greater Wisdom, Confidence, and Success. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Oh, pleasure, Joan. Thank you for having me. So, Steve, most of us spend a lot of time in our head trying to figure things out. I I know I do, way too much time. So... (laughs) You suggest that a body-centered approach can offer tremendous insight into the way we feel, therefore helping us make better decisions. What is whole body intelligence, and why is this so important to use? Well, you know, so many times we have things that happened in the past, and uh, we might forget them, but they'll pop up, you know, like if we've been hurt in a relationship We might be holding back from meeting somebody or trusting somebody, but not really, you know, we're not realizing. In our head, we think we're doing fine, but somewhere in our body lives that memory. You know, we forget a lot of things, but what I have found in in doing the work I've been doing is that these things still might live in us and they'll pop up, you know, when something similar comes about and we'll have possibly a negative or a fear about the outcome. So I just uh, invite people to take a moment because most of our thoughts are either in the past or in the future and just kind of take a breath and notice and feel uh, more, you know, more intelligence, not just what your mind's telling you, but perhaps there's some fear in your belly or some pain in your chest. And what I have found, Joan, is that often people will get in touch with what I call viral belief, a belief that might be living still in their whole system. A lot of people have heard of emotional intelligence, and yet I'll say to people, well, what do you feel? Hmm, not sure. I, I think I'm sad. I think I'm angry. But as soon as I tell them, what is your body saying? Because I know your your fist is tight or you're holding your breath. They'll go, oh, yeah. And they'll get in touch with that feeling or that belief that might be holding them back. So it's, it's another uh, intelligence, if you will, for us. And, and I'll just end with, you know, when I was in sales, if I leaned forward and I've noticed my customer leaned back, uh, but when I sat back and relaxed and noticed I wasn't shaking my leg or getting any body signals, I did better. So that's really what started me saying, wow, I think we ignore this uh, intelligence that's right in, right in us, our innate intelligence. And I've been helping people get in touch with that as an extra tool for them to deal with life. Well, Steve, I, I find your work fascinating because, as I said, I have spent my entire life being one of those in-the-head people where everything needed to make sense and I needed to think through everything. And more and more recently, I've learned to 
listen to my body. And, you mm. know, you could call it intuition. You can call it whole body intelligence. But what I found is <laughs> the more I tune in, the more signals I get and the more I'm relying on this for decision-making in my life. And, and and I think what I found is your body rarely lies to you. You really know what's going on if you pay attention. Absolutely. You know, I read yesterday, I don't know, it's funny how things come to you. I was just reading and I, I, a research study said that we have about 70,000 thoughts a day. Wow, think mm-hmm. about that. And, you know, often those thoughts, again, can be scary or negative or just fictional. And I just found that, you know, once I would take that breath and tap in and really listen to what was happening for me in the moment, not only would I de-stress, you know, in the moment, which is a lot of the work I do with people, but I would just help people get in touch with something. You know, I've helped a, a coach get back on the bench. He thought he'd never coach again. I've worked with, you know, musicians, athletes, writers who, you know, maybe got rejected and thought they'd never sell that book again. And those thoughts were just stopping them cold. But once they would really, you know, tap into that other intelligence, they might get in touch with, you know, this has nothing to do with now. (laughs) This has something to do with something I'm holding in my body. Our body was there from day one. So those traumas, even as early, you know, I'm even certified in prenatal work. Even as early as that, uh, things happened, and we don't realize that they're in our way or, or in our, you know, blocking us from having the success or the relationship, or you know, the health that we can have. So for me, uh, it's really helped a lot, and and I've been listening to my body a lot more, and it's really helped me, you know, get over the old people. Oh, you'll never sell a book, and of course, if I froze and I started to feel into that frozen thought, I probably wouldn't have gone to New York and tried to sell my book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once I breathed through that and realized that, oh, you know, this isn't about the book. It's about deeper things that live inside of me. And I help people breathe and release and kind of, as I say, like release that belief and then start to embody a new belief. It's amazing how the shift occurs and just their body language alone I call it your billboard. Their body language alone shifts and they get a different result. Well, I love when you say that life is not meant to be an out-of-body experience. And that makes so much sense because that's how most of us live our life, as though it's two things. Well, absolutely. You know, look, let's face it. Do you want to be uncomfortable? I know I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the first thing we do is when we feel some fear or anger or sadness or any emotion in our body, you know, our tendency is to get out of it, right? Um, I went to see somebody the other day, you know, who was their dad passed, and then they just kept saying, oh, we're just numbing ourselves, we're numbing ourselves. And I understand, of course, the pain. But that's a perfect example of we don't want to feel. I mean, I don't want to feel bad. So the tendency is to numb. But what I've noticed, Joan, is when we actually let the feeling into our body and breathe with it and express it and actually let it, if you will, you know, circulate and release then something else can happen. So I feel like a lot of us are frozen and numb, uh, even what's happening in the world today. You know, it's, 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 it's who wants to feel it. So mm-hmm. people will definitely, uh, including myself, have a tendency to want to go out. But I've just retrained myself and focused my thoughts, if you will, to not run from what I feel, but to just be aware of it. And it's helped me. You know, I'm a speaker and I coach and and, uh, and I was in sales. And that's really where I discovered it, you know, just noticing that my body language and the inner thoughts I was having was affecting uh, my presentation to the world. And of course, if somebody felt like, oh, he's afraid of me, then who would want to go on a date? You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in a relationship now 10 years, but it took a lot of work to be able to believe because I got rejected a couple of times and it was still in my body, even though my mind wanted something else. But my body was sending a signal. And that's really the message that, you know, your body's speaking all the time to people. So be aware of it. That's an intelligence that we ignore, and it affects the impact we have and the results we have. Steve, you talk about Blue Zone and Hawaiian cultures and the the lifestyles that the people there live. What can we learn from these cultures about living a body-centric versus a mind-centric life? I love that question. You know, I did live in, in Hawaii for five years, 
You know, Joan, the culture is so different when you really get in with the Hawaiians. Number one, their their word for ohana is family. The word for family is ohana. You know what that means? That means families who breathe together. Aloha. You know, ah, it means heaven, and lo means earth, and ha means breath. So their whole culture, you know, is based on, you know, breathing and, and being awake and being aware that, you know, Hawaiian and how they would kiss when they say hello, they would put their cheek next to mine and let me feel their breath. Mm-hmm. So they're more of a body-centered culture, uh, more of a, a culture that believes in that, where a lot of our culture was, you know, that we weren't allowed to feel and, and we were trained to, to not feel. And, and I think a lot of us got into that habit. Uh, maybe we expressed, you know, Mommy, um, I, I have this story. I was at a hot springs, and I remember, uh, Mommy, I'm really hot. Oh, you're not hot. No, I am. No, you're not. So what does that teach us? Well, maybe I don't know what I'm feeling. Huh, I thought I was hot. You know, and then uh, the mom said, um, oh, taste this, honey. It, it's cucumber water, right? I like it, but she said, it tastes like lemonade. So the, the daughter takes a sip. No, it doesn't. No, it does. Keep trying. And eventually the little girl said, yeah, mom, it tastes like lemonade. And I could just see the girl's shoulders hunch. So what does that teach the girl? That's teaching the little girl, I don't know what I feel. Mm -hmm. And I thought it tasted bad. And I thought I was hot. But my mom told me I'm not. So we, we lose trust in our own instincts and our own innate intelligence. And I've been coaching people to go to go with that instinct, go with that feeling. If it doesn't feel right, then listen before you just say no. Steve, so many people today are walking around like ticking time bombs. They're so angry. They're ready to yell at each other or say something nasty to another person. What do you think is happening? Do you think it's a suppression of those feelings, those emotions that were so bottled up, we're ready to explode? Absolutely. And Joan, I don't know if you've been... uh somehow tuning into my life, but uh, just the other day, I was at the gym. All the towels, they offer towels, they're all alike, and I, uh, you know, everybody lines their little towels up. I grabbed the wrong towel. They're all alike. The guy went crazy. My towel. I went, whoa, it's okay, I'll get you another one. No! And I realized in that moment, here's a guy who's probably frustrated at work or at home, He's a walking time bomb. He's just waiting for that opportunity to let that out. And that's why I said, release, breathe, move, you know, get that out of your body. I have like 30 day programs and they're all about each day, you know, have focused thinking, concentrating, (sighs) being aware of my posture, being aware of my thoughts. Unfortunately, most of us don't have that opportunity. So it might be road rage or it's something like that. And and that's why I caught a walking time bomb because here's a guy who was at the gym. I apparently was working out. Whatever <laughs> happened, it didn't release his stress. And boy, he just found the opportunity in my towel, you know, mm-hmm. to, to let it out on me. And of course, I knew this is a time bomb. So I just uh, handed him another towel and got out of there. But I realized that uh, there's quite a bit of that, you know, out on the, out on the road and uh, in situations, and we see a lot of it in the, in the news, that someone just didn't get to express or feel or let that emotion out. And um, perhaps their parents, you know, did or said things to them that they weren't allowed to speak. And that what happened is it gets bottled up. And where does that energy go? That's what I tell people. It doesn't go away. It's right in your cells. It's right in your skin. And uh, I see it all the time with people, you know, like I said, their body language or the fist or they're gritting their teeth. And just that one signal of, ah, take a breath. I notice that you're clamping your jaw as you said you want to earn more money. And they'll find underneath their body's giving them a signal to what that belief or that pattern that might be holding them back. And I found that it's the quickest way to get things out of the way. And I've helped people, you know, sell books, make that sale, um, meet that perfect relationship that they were looking for by tuning into where they were holding these negative beliefs. And as you said, the walking time bomb, the anger, and then they have an opportunity to be more aware. It, it's nothing to be afraid of. You just become awake and aware of what's really happening in my whole body, not just my mind, IQ, 
not just my emotions, EQ, but my whole BQ. And I have a, a test on my uh, website that helps people to determine how high or low is your BQ. Are you aware that you're shaking your leg when you're making a presentation? Are you aware that you're gritting your jaw when you say, oh, I really like that? People see that. And if you're not aware of it, then you're probably going to get a lower result in what you're looking for. And that's a lot of what I'm, I'm about. And so many things that we're dealing with in life, we could make an impact to to change them if we just take the time to be mindful, to be in the present, to pay attention to our body and, and our reactions. And your work with stress, you have something called the rebooting technique. Can you explain to us exactly how that works? Absolutely, Joan. Well, like right in this moment, right now, I think it's it's difficult for people because they're doing so many things at once, looking at their phone while they're doing something else. But I always tell people, you know, what do you do when your computer's down? You know what they say immediately. Oh, we reboot. Why? Well, something's not working, so I turn it off and I start it over. So it's the same thing. If there's any opportunity for me, and I'm, you know, before I go into an event, before I got on this radio show today or any other feelings, I just like to reboot. So the first thing I do is just be aware, turn everything off and just make that commitment to myself that I'm going to reboot myself right now. And I get comfortable and I start with breath and then I start to say out loud things like I'm noticing my jaw is tight. I'm noticing my shoulders are up to my ears. I'm starting to have an integrative conversation now between my body and my mind. And then I'll go into breathing and notice things like, is it difficult to breathe in? You know, Joan, I find that a lot of times when people have difficulty taking a deep in-breath, they have difficulty receiving. That's how core the breath is. And I'll notice other people will have the opposite. They'll have difficulty on the out-breath. And they're usually people who have difficulty expressing themselves. So it's that kind of awareness. And then I'll take them further into the body and the rebooting technique, and they'll get uh, more aware of things that are happening and different beliefs. So it's a, it's about a seven-step, and it's just uh, as we're doing it, we're just taking breaths and noticing right, right now, what did you become aware of? Oh, didn't realize that I was you know, leaning forward or clutching onto my meetings in an hour and I was, you know, clutching my body tight thinking about it. So you get to relax and rewire it. You get to release that thought and bring in a new thought. So then I'll have people say what they want. You know, I want to have this meeting go successful. Or I want to, uh, you know, have a great time that I go my first date. I want to have a great meeting when I take my book to the publisher. And then notice again, what did you feel in your body? What emotions came up? And then I'll have people move. Maybe you need to shake it out. Maybe you need to just kind of get up or change your posture. Um, and then continue to breathe and affirm what you want until your body starts to receive it, if you will. For me, Joan, what I notice is when I feel comfortable in my body with what I want to manifest and I release whatever that is that's been blocking or in the way of it, I find that I'm received differently. I, I remember when I was in sales, um, just being aware and rebooting before I walked in, I was aware that my customer who was AT&T um, was distracted. And I could have just gone on with my pitch and been blind to it, but I noticed her discomfort in her body because I was aware of my own. And I said to her, you know, I, I'm noticing and it took guts to do that. I'm noticing as I'm speaking, it seems like you're distracted. Am I correct? And she said, wow, you're the first sales rep who's ever stopped his pitch to actually ask me how I'm doing. And then she told me, I've got this issue, I've got that issue. And then I helped her with that. Uh, she needed a machine here. She needed a machine there. Long story short, that presence and that ability to reboot and be awake and aware in the moment turned out to be 3,000 machines later. It changed my life. Yeah. So I just really encourage everybody to reboot, get ready to be your best at whatever you're doing versus walking in and bringing the morning tension or the traffic tension or whatever it is, and you're not even aware. But other people see it, and it affects how you relate and how you're seen. Steve, in that process, you mentioned the importance of moving. And most of us spend our day 
sitting. I, I mean, we sit at a, a desk or a computer, and then we go home and we sit in front of a television, and, and we very seldom move. So how important is movement to the way our brain reacts or responds and, and what we think? I think it's so important. You know, Joan, I grew up, all we did was we're, we were outside. We were always moving, you know, we're always always doing something. And unfortunately today with the computers, the video games and all those things, you know, too many children I notice are just sitting. And I notice the difference between children who, you know, go to school and then do athletics afterwards or doing, you know, physical things. But they're just more in their body and they're not carrying as much tension. So one of the things that I teach a lot is when your body wants to do something, especially if you're in your own room or if you can go, and I've done this plenty of times in offices, I'll go into a private space, let your body speak. In the therapy kind of work I do in the coaching, the movement really is um, gives us tremendous information that when we're locked up, we're holding our breath, we're locking our body, that we're not, we're not getting any information. But if that hand wants to move, let it move. If that fist wants to open or, or punch the air, let it punch the air because your body's wanting to express something. If somebody's shaking their leg when they're working with me, I'll go, shake your leg more. Make that bigger. In fact, let that leg speak. And sure enough, some information will come to them. It's amazing. But they'll go, wow, I just wanted to kick that out of my life and I feel 100% better. Or, wow, I noticed when I started moving, it reminded me of childhood you know, or, or it brought me back to a memory. So, again, it's called cellular memory. Everything that's ever happened to us, and this is not just me speaking, it's, it's scientific, it's written up that things happened and they're still in our cellular memory, which is amazing. There's been work on the belly, how much is held in the belly. They say in the belly has a brain. So in other words, things happen. We hold them in our shoulders. We hold them in our belly and they're stuck. So we can't get that information. We can't express what that, that unexpressed feeling or emotion. So I find that movement is the best. Even people coming in here locked up, stressed, scared, once I have them breathe and start walking and moving, ah, all of a sudden they're able to tell what's happening for you. What are you feeling? What is that fear? What is that anger? And they can't get that just sitting and locked up in their brain. So the movement really is a, a doorway to get better and greater information. The book is Whole Body Intelligence, Get Out of Your Head and Into Your Body to Achieve Greater Wisdom, Confidence, and Success. If you'd like to get more information about Steve and his work, you can visit wholebodyintelligence.com. Steve, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I'd like to leave the listeners with that, you know, everything that you feel and that you're noticing, rather than shut it off or, or numb it or cut away, take the opportunity to actually let yourself feel that. Accept where you are now. Take a nice deep breath, you know, reboot. Actually, be aware that you're more than just a mind. So I think the, the awareness, uh, that self-evident truth that's inside of you, you can find it right in your body. All you need to do is sit back, breathe, listen, and whatever you feel, rather than shutting it down, let it speak to you. And you'll find that you'll get a lot of information that you need in your life right now to push through that fear or to get that wisdom, that you know, intuitive feeling inside. Your body's brilliant, and it's there for you to use and not to ignore. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. I, as I said, have been really paying attention to what my body is saying to me, and it's been a game changer. So I hope our listeners will learn more about what you've been saying, and I thank you so much for being here and sharing. Oh, thank you, Joan. It's been a pleasure. I loved it. Thank you so much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. 
Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss managing uncertainty. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. Allison, everything that comes into our lives, whether it be good or bad, comes from the unknown future. So why do most of us see uncertainty as bad or even stressful? Well, one of the reasons that we think that uncertainty is always bad is because when good things come into our lives, we forget that they were once uncertain. I speak to so many people about uncertainty, and they always have this view that when uncertainty happens, I don't know what's going to happen next in my life. Things aren't working out. But they forget that there was a time before their husband or wife came into their life, their best friend came into their life, a new job or they're getting into a great school. We forget because the good things that come into our lives, we get used to them. And then that we expect them to be in our lives. And we forget that everything that comes into our lives was once unknown. But when something happens in our life that we don't like, it causes us so much discomfort. And sometimes that discomfort doesn't go away. And so that represents to us uncertainty. And so that's why we think that all the things we don't know will be bad. But the biggest problem is that when we live with this fear of uncertainty, we live in fear. And when we live in fear, we look at the unknown and we kind of turn our backs on all that's possible in our lives. Because we think that if we risk getting a new job, we risk starting a new business, we risk going out with someone new because it has the unknown in it, we think that it can't possibly work out. And then we lose our courage to move forward with our lives. We lose our courage to make better decisions, to expand everything that's important to us, all the things that we love to do. So the most important thing that we can do in our lives is to establish a stronger relationship with uncertainty and realize that, yes, uncertainty could bring difficult moments, but it also could bring beautiful moments and joys and successes. And if we could see uncertainty differently, we're more likely to take chances in our lives. You know, Allison, something that you just said, all the things we don't know we assume will be bad. And like you said, if we can learn how to make that shift and and to remember that a lot of the things that are wonderful were once unknown, that that would really help us to eliminate that fear that you talked about. In addition to that, what are some ways that we can learn to view uncertainty with less stress so that we can use it to our advantage? Well, because this is such a bad habit that many of us have, seeing uncertainty as bad, it is really great when you're feeling stressed and you're feeling worried to remind yourself of the joys that uncertainty brings. And, and a lot of people that I work with, they actually get a journal and they write about all the blessings in their lives. And when you start to live like this and you start to journal, of course, you also start to embrace more gratitude. And the more grateful you are in your life, the more joy you'll have in your life, the more openings that you'll have in your life. There's also another thing, too, is that it's not just that uncertainty brings good things, too. Our relationship with uncertainty also shifts when we also recognize that we've had suffering in our lives and we've survived it. We've survived the pain. For some reason, when we think about the unknown, we think about it like we're not going to be able to live through something if it happens that we don't like or that creates something we didn't expect. We can get through it. And so when we journal and we see that we've had good things come into our lives and when we remember the things that we've survived, we start to build more foundation to face the unknown and recognize that the best thing in our lives we could do is to forge ahead, create good intentions, pursue our dreams, and know no matter what, 
we will figure it out. And again, I know I always talk about this idea of maybe, but when things happen that we don't like, we do have this idea of maybe that maybe whatever happening will get better. Maybe we can accept it and still be okay. And maybe there's something very important for us to feel or experience in this moment. So no matter whatever is happening in life, if you have breath, you have hope, and you have maybe. And uncertainty is where all the goodies lie, and it's where your life's going to change, and it's where all the things you want in your life is going to happen. But you have to find a way to deal with uncertainty and lessen the fear so you could open up to everything that you truly want in your life. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners would like to learn more about Allison or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. If you want to stop feeling alone, afraid, and stuck, then today's guest may have the answer for you. Joining me to discuss how we can learn to feel loved and connected is Dr. Denora Nieves, who is a consultant for Owns Ayanla Fix My Life. Dr. Nieves is the author of Love You 12 Ways to Be Who You Love and Love Who You Are. Welcome, Dr. Nieves. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk. Dinar, I'm so happy to have you on the show because your work is, it's really about something that so many of us experience. And I want to go back a little bit in your life to when you were in your 20s. Like so many of us, you experienced toxic relationships, heartache, and struggle. How did those experiences shape the work that you do today? They played a tremendous role in the work that I do. I think it was at that time in my life that I felt the most alone, even though I was surrounded by people who loved and, and cared for me. Uh, I just couldn't connect to myself, and I didn't feel supported by the universe at large, and everything seemed to be a struggle. And so all of those feelings, although I've had the opportunity to overcome the experiences, all of the feelings are things that still resonate with me. And when I encounter people who are experiencing the same emotional struggle, I almost transport mm -hmm. back to those moments and know exactly what that feels like and why we're there and what might help. Um, so it, it has played a tremendous role in the work that I do today. So let's talk a little bit about why we're there. Why do you believe you and so many of us have those types of feelings? Well, I think it's a multitude of reasons. I don't think there's one specific cause, but I do think that those reasons include a sort of social focus on other people, right? We're taught very early in life that we shouldn't be selfish, that we should be concerned with what other people are thinking and feeling. And people who strive to be good people, we completely and totally abide by that. Um, I don't think that we're taught that we can do that and still put ourselves first and still be a priority for ourselves and still focus on ourselves. And so there's, there's this idea that self-love and selflessness are mutually exclusive, right? That you can't be a good person who is connected to larger society and still be worried about who you are and how you grow. And so we choose. We either become the selfish, self-centered person or we become the sort of other-focused person and we never learn how to balance those two. Dinara, one of the things that I learned after going through trauma in my life was that we are some of the whole. I say the mind, body, soul, and spirit. We're not any one of those entities, but we're some of, of all of those. And your work is centered on what you call the eight dimensions of wellness. So you're taking it, you're breaking it down even further. What are these areas? And, and let's just talk very briefly about each and why they're so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the eight dimensions of wellness are emotional, financial, social, spiritual, occupational, physical, intellectual, and environmental. And when I was going through everything that I was going through, I was struggling in each of those areas, but I didn't have a conceptual framework, right? I, I would have never said to one of my homegirls on the phone, oh, I think I'm having a you know, financial dilemma or occupational crisis, or I'm in a spiritual um, you know, existential crisis, right? That wasn't how I 
spoke about it, but it certainly did fit. And as I started to get better, I realized that each of those dimensions offered me an opportunity to really focus on myself and develop my sense of well-being. And when I got my hands on that conceptual framework, it all seemed to make sense, right? So Mm -hmm. part of what I do in the book is give people really concrete examples of how they can be more focused and um, more developmental and self-improving in those areas, right? So each dimension has sort of tangible aspects to it. Um, You know, emotional wellness is really about how you relate to yourself and how you center. So I talk to people about meditating and having healthy relationships. Financial wellness is not just really about, you know, how you manage your money, but it's also about do you believe in abundance? Do you go through the world believing that there is enough? What are your ideas about money, right? What controls your thinking and your habits? So each of those dimensions has some sort of um, tangible aspect of power in your life. And if you can explore it and deconstruct it and figure out how you got there and what you're doing in that area and how to get better, it really lays out a nice framework for you improving your sense of well-being. Is it important that these areas be balanced? Absolutely. And I talk a lot to clients about that because one of the things that I think people often do, and and I'm at fault for this as well, is we end up being really good at one or two of them, and we sort of focus in the areas that we're really good. And then we ignore the other pieces of our life. So you'll see people who are really good at managing their money, but their emotional lives are not very well. Or you'll see people who are physically in shape, but spiritually, they may not be aligned with what their purpose is or um, any sense of vulnerability or gratitude, right? So people will tend to focus on the things that are easier for them to grasp and ignore some of the other areas, but they're equally important. Denora, earlier you mentioned the importance of self-love, that we practice self-love. And Mm -hmm. You also said that when we do, we often feel guilty for doing so. So what are some of the strategies that you write about in your book that can help us to practice self-love without guilt? Well, I think that the first and foremost thing is first and foremost in the day, right? So I I tell a lot of my clients, a lot of my friends, and I do this myself, is I take some time in the beginning of the day to just do things that make me happy. And that can be anything from watching a television show that helps me to relax, or it can be prayer and meditation, or it can be a yoga class, um, or it can even be journaling or writing all of my ideas about a project that I'm working on. So I, I sort of spanned there, right? I went from a physical activity to an emotional activity to, a, a, you know, a, a spiritual and, and physical together, right? You can do any mix of it, but really putting yourself first in the morning so that you are available to other people as a full version of who you are and not sort of what I always um, said, you know, what I say in my book and I say to a lot of people is I sort of was selling myself off for the parts, (laughs) you know, if you can imagine a car, right? Right. Um, So that's what you want to do is really first and foremost, first thing in the day, get yourself centered doing activities that help you to improve your wellness in any one or any number of those dimensions so that when you go out into the world, you're fully accessible to other people for all that you are in your entirety. I remember when I was raising my family, any time I did anything for myself, I did feel guilty. But what I quickly learned was that when my well ran dry, I didn't have anything left to give to other people. So Mm. it really is the greatest gift you can give others. It's not selfish at all. Yeah, no, and the other thing that we often do is we hold people responsible for reciprocating the energy that we put into them, even if we've never requested it. And we hold them hostage, the energy that we've put into them. And it's it's unfortunate because oftentimes we don't even have the conversation. So we're pouring 80% of who we are into this relationship with another person, a spouse, a child, an employer. And then we are so resentful when we're not getting the same thing back or we're not getting back enough to fill what we've emptied out. 
and it's it was never agreed to. <laughs> so why, you know, we're resentful that we're not getting something that we never bothered to ask for and that, frankly, we could have given ourselves had we been more discriminating with the way we use our time and energy. Dinar, you say that we need to learn how to turn off mute so we can be heard. What does that mean? Well, I think that has two meanings. And, and actually, the more people I talk to, other people bring their meanings. So I'd love to hear what it means for you, too. Um, the way it came about was really, as women of color, um, I was having a conversation with a, a very good friend who is a white woman, and she was on mute, and, and I and the other person on the phone couldn't hear her. And so she got back on the phone. She's like, I've been talking the whole time. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of what it's like to be a woman of color. <laughs> He's like, we've been talking the whole time, and no one has heard what we've said. So that was the way that the impression, I mean, the expression was born. Um, and it, it was a little bit comical, and it was a little bit insightful at the same time is how often we really turn off our inner voice. And so we go through the world and we've been socialized to have a good sense of what other people want and need from us. And we determine what we're going to do and who we're going to be on the basis of what other people require. And that does serve us in some aspects, in some spaces, in some ways. But there's a real gift to being able to tap into your intuition and really being able to listen to who you are and what you need for yourself and waking up in the morning and really paying attention to what that voice is telling you and being guided by something that's more internal. And so we've learned to mute that for so many years. And I think a big piece of the work we have to do is learning how to take that off of mute. Well, you were asking what you thought it meant to me. And I I live that for much of my marriage, which which ultimately ended in divorce. But I was talking and shouting and and screaming to be heard, and I wasn't. And I I kept it on mute. I I totally understand that. I allowed it to continue until I turned off mute. And once I did, I ended up getting divorced. So I do understand that from both sides of what you described. And so much of what you experience, and I've experienced that as well, is a big fear that keeps us in mute, right? Because most of us understand that we developed a lot of the relationships that we cherished under false pretense. We really did. It wasn't our intention, mm-hmm. and it, we're more right to admit it most of the time, right? But, but a lot of the relationships we have in our lives, we think, would not continue if we really asked for what we needed, if we were to really say how we felt, if we were to really make some requirements, some requests and some demands that really honored us. And so we keep a lot of those things to ourselves because we don't think the relationships will sustain it. Mm-hmm. And it's a big piece of the fear and the deterrence of, of being on mute or being uh, letting go of it. And I think what you've identified is that there's a life after it, right? Well, that some of that... There is. But what I was going to say is I do believe if I turn the mute off earlier in the 23 year period of the marriage, I don't think it would have had the same result. I think keeping that mute on for 23 years, when I finally turned it off, it was almost too much of a shock for my husband. So I think if I had taken it off earlier, we would have had a, a different outcome. Yeah, that's the lovely, messy, wonderful disgusting part of all of this, right? (laughs) We don't know what we don't know, you know? And so as we're learning and as we're growing, there's so many things that we theorize and we think about, and maybe it would have been better and maybe not, you know? And maybe there is a way to do it differently, and maybe it was done exactly as it needed to for it to give you what you needed to grow. So there are no lost lessons, you know? No. And, and, you know, in in talking about self-love and and having the confidence to turn off mute and to believe in ourselves. I think so much of the problem is that we doubt ourselves. We think so little of ourselves. And and I'm not really sure where that comes from. What are your thoughts on that? I think you're right. I think we do think little of ourselves. And I think it's because there is a um, an idea that thinking big of yourself makes you arrogant. And there is an idea that there is a an honor to being humble in quotes, 
And the reason I say in quotes is because it's more of the common idea of humble, which is to be pious and to be um, sort of quiet and shy. I don't necessarily think of that as humility. I took this phenomenal um, spirituality class with a Hebrew rabbi. I'm not Jewish, by the way, but I I just love spiritual teaching of any kind. And they talked about in the class, talked about humility as really seeing yourself as the most important thing in the world and the least significant thing in the world at the same time. That it really is about balance. And I talk about it in my book as really um, centering yourself, if you would think of yourself as a sort of a pendulum swinging, centering yourself somewhere between I have a lot to offer and I have a lot to learn. And I really think that's the key is not seeing yourself as the biggest thing or seeing yourself as the smallest thing, or maybe seeing yourself as both, right? But really finding that in-between that allows you to stand in the power of who you are and still be open to the power that's around you. And that's important, to stand in the power of who you are. And I'm a believer that that inner power a lot of it comes from the way that we talk to ourselves. Dinner, we speak to ourselves in a way that we would never think of talking to another person. <laughs> and, you know, how do we go about changing that? What do you think we need to do to stop speaking to ourselves in, in such a, a self-hating way? Yeah, catch the judgment. You know, a lot of judgment is based on extremes, right and wrong, good and bad. Um, and so what I tell my clients all the time and what I've worked on for a very long time is really starting to remove those things and not thinking of things as good or bad or right and wrong, but just thinking of who I want to become and how I want to work on that. And then looking at what I do, what I think, what I say, how I feel as either helpful towards that goal or not so much. And when I experience what I experience, I don't judge myself for experiencing it, right? I just sort of get a handle on what it is and where it came from and where it's going to take me. And then I make some choices about how to process it, manage it, let it out, um, and keep it moving. I think what keeps us stuck a lot of times is what you're talking about, that judgmental self-talk, where you're constantly criticizing yourself and you don't let yourself off the hook for things that you feel you could have done differently. Denora, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing in this conversation about self-love. As you said, self-love is a priority. We need to do it without guilt and without apologies. So thank you so much for talking about your book and for sharing some strategies with us. Thank you for having me, Joan. I love this conversation and let's talk again. We'll be right back. Did you know that everything you truly want and need can manifest for you through your own focused intention. Here are six practical and important tips for manifestation. Number one, make a list of immediate priorities and life goals. Number two, every desire must ring clear without any doubt. Number three, use daily meditation to connect with yourself in the moment. Number four, Place your written intentions over your heart. Number five, write them, sing them, see them, and feel those intentions every day. Six, read about and meet up with like-minded people to support you in the manifestation of your dreams. Allow me, Jill Einschneider, holistic life coach and revolutionary healer, to help you manifest your dreams and goals. Please contact me at www.revolutionaryhealer.com or call me at 561-945-4812. Do you ever feel like there is no support and you are doing things all on your own? With hypnosis, you can bring in the feeling of being supported. Hi, I'm Mary Beth Battaglia, and I am a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner. Many times, people feel disconnected and the weight of the world upon them. It's not a very comfortable place to live in. Through the mind and visualization, we can create support within us and all around us. Take a moment to take a nice deep breath in and slowly let it out and imagine yourself 
in a forest, sitting against a tall, strong tree. Allow yourself to feel the tree having your back. Feel the love from the tree. Feel the support and draw from its strength to help you feel good within and supported. Allow yourself to really embrace it and see yourself moving forward in your life with the support, with the strength from the tree. And just see yourself feeling complete and happy. I am Mary Beth Battaglia, and you can find out more about hypnosis at MetroHypnosisCenter.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, and that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Check out Conversations with Joan every Monday on your favorite podcast site. Visit cyacyl.com slash podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.